My name is Dan Plazik, and I'm a retired geologist, and I still can't get it out of my head, so I keep writing about <laughs> about the subject. I'm glad you said Plazik, because when I, every time I look at your last name, I want to say Plazak, so I'm glad you pronounced it. Well, the, the, there's no correct way to pronounce it. <laughs> Wait, there is. The way to proper way to pronounce it is the way you pronounce your name. You get to pronounce your name any way you want. I suppose so. I've got relatives who spell it three different ways. <laughs> Did it what is the ethnic or national origin of that name? And is it one of the ones that got screwed up at the immigration office in history? Well, no, it, it wasn't screwed up at the immigration office. It's a Czech name, but it, it, it originally only had one vowel. My ancestors were so poor when they came over, they could only afford one vowel. It, it was, it was P-L-Z-A-K, which actually means Pilsner, as in the beer. And is it a kind of Pilsner, or literally that's the word for Someone the from Pilsner. the town of Pilsen. Did you ever 23andMe or look up your, have you ever been into looking up your heritage? Oh, one of my sisters has. I, I haven't, but uh, I've been back over there. Oh. Where did you come from and how does it fit into all the different permutations of what is called Czechoslovakia? Like where you came from, what country is that now? Czech Republic. Okay, Czech Republic. Is it a tiny town or was it a major city? Uh, it's a fairly major, major city. Uh, it's an interesting place. It it it, it has a, a George S. Patton Museum. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does it have a Patton Museum because they love what Patton did during World War II so much? Yes, yes. He uh, he ended up his campaign at Pilsen. He, he was headed uh, headed eastward, and, and they told him to stop. <laughs> uh, did is that when you go to the museum or learn about it, was Patton mad about being told to stop? I, I imagine he was, but it, it doesn't say anything about it. <laughs> did you spend a lot of time in that town when you went to the Czech Republic, or did you kind of go all over? Oh, I, I went all over. I, I was mostly interested in other places, actually. But uh, I happened to land there, and I, I can oh. I can send you pictures later. Every year that they have a Liberation Day festival, where they dress oh. up in in 1940s World War II American costumes. They they have these old jeeps or they ride around, and they actually had the uh, Count Basie Orchestra there to play a concert in the city square. It's a big deal. What? It's uh, that's so weird. It's this weird American nostalgia thing, like some kind of like a Yankee Doodle Dandy thing happening in some far off country. Well, um, what can I say? They they remember their friends. <laughs> I I appreciate that loyalty. Uh, I, I saw more American flags waved uh, that weekend than I have in a long time. <laughs> Is English spoken heavily in the Czech Republic? No. Okay, not at all. 
tourist places, but uh, and and it's a tough language. Okay. Yeah, I I could never get the hang of it. Is there when you were there? Is there a close number two language, or is Czech like by far the absolute dominant language? Uh, well, like like most Europeans, that they they speak you most of them speak more than one language. It uh, German is a good language to speak. Okay. Well, you, you didn't have to talk to me about all the derivation of your last name. I, <laughs> I stumbled onto you online because I went, I think, it, what is it called? The Great Diamond Heist? What, does it have an official name? Oh, it's the, the Great Diamond Hoax or the Great Diamond Swindle. Okay. Um, and But before we get into that, so when I went looking, I found something you'd written about that. And so that got me interested. But you got interested in these things because you had a long career in geology. So maybe maybe you could tell me a little bit about how'd you get into geology? How long did you go? And what was the trigger that got you to finally retire and say, ah, I'm going to take a break now? <laughs> well, what, what can I say? I, I've, I've always loved the idea of digging things, finding things underground. I don't know what it is. There's something about it that's always fascinated me. And so I went to school, got a degree in geology, went off, looked for oil and uranium and gold and uh, wow. oh, industrial minerals, sulfur. Was there ever a particular thing that you specialized in or did your skills allow you to really to go poking around in the ground for a lot of valuable stuff? Well, I, I sort of bounced around every uh, every time there, there was a boom in something or other. I, I I tended to join in and follow it for a while till, till the boom went bust and I went on to something else. Mostly, mostly I, I spent my time in oil. Do Do you remember when you say, I mean, you, you sort of humbly say, oh, I just like digging around on the ground. Do you remember that all the way back when you were a kid? Absolutely. How did it manifest as a kid? What did you imagine? Did you used to bury stuff and dig it up? Or did you, what did you look for when you were a kid? Well, I remember when I was five years old, I, I talked some of my friends into, into digging a hole looking for pirate treasure or something. We, 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 we got tired before we dug very far down. God dang it, so you didn't find it? <laughs> so if you were digging for something to find, did you ever do the thing where you tried to dig straight down to see how far you get? Like, could you get to the middle of the earth? or Not hardly. <laughs> okay. So you were smart. Even as a child, you were smart enough to know you couldn't get to the earth's core. That's good. Well, I was smart enough I got tired and... Everyone got bored and went off and found something else to do. When you, before college, in college and after, was geology definitely the most interesting thing that you studied? Or was it something you just thought, I, I want to do this as a job, so I'm going to study this? Well, both. I, I've, I've, I've always been interested in minerals and stuff down in the earth. Uh, digging up dinosaur bones, whatever, and and so, yeah, I was, it was both a 
way to get a job and what I was most interested in. You mentioned those dinosaur bones, and obviously, if you're digging for oil, you're kind of digging for dinosaur bones, but not really. Did you ever think, oh, I want to be an archaeologist? Well, actually, it's paleontologist for, for uh, dinosaur oh, bones. Oh, you're right. But, uh, well, I've, I've always been, been interested in uh, ancient cultures as well. I've, I've been to a lot of the, uh, the pre-Columbian pre ruins in Latin America and the southwest U.S. It, the, the whole thing fascinates me. Did you ever dig inside yourself enough to figure out, I wonder what the appeal is about layers under the Earth's surface? Well, it's just the question of what's hidden yeah. under the Earth's surface. And there's a certain romance to it, I guess. Although, you know, I was never one to risk all my own money on a spin of the wheel and <laughs> I'm a little too risk averse to to go broke doing it. It's interesting when you said kind of jumping from thing to thing as one thing in the ground was worth more at any particular time. And you never, I mean, you've read about in the past or even in the present people who kind of stake their entire claim on going somewhere and trying to find something, but nothing looked good enough or that was just wasn't your personality where you're like, Oh, I take all my money and try to go dig something out in this one spot. Um, well, I'm, I'm a little bit too risk averse to bet all my money on one thing. Uh, I know people who have and, uh, people who've gotten rich over it, but I don't know. I, I, I was never one of them. Did you have to do a lot of, traveling through this career and live in different places or was it just kind of short-term travel uh mostly short-term travel i i've done short-term travel uh oh mexico peru on 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 jobs and uh, various places in the u.s So maybe it is a natural trajectory, the job of geology, and then get, getting interested in uh, mine and geology scams. But what inspired you to ultimately to write a book? I'm looking at it. I got it on my shelf. Well, what inspired me to write the book is, is I couldn't find a book on the subject. I had to write it myself. Did it feel like an opportunity or it felt like, well, well, this has to be told. Well, a little bit of both. Um, I, I, I especially like the title. I wanted to nail that down before someone else grabbed it. But um, okay, to wait, tell me. For, I know what the title is, but for listeners, what oh, was the title you love so much? Like I got to do it. The the title is a hole in the ground with a liar at the top. <laughs> which was that's a great one. So supposedly Mark Twain's definition of a gold mine, although no one knows if he ever actually said it. it it's actually a play on an old uh, English saying that a mine is a hole in the ground with a Cornishman at the bottom. <laughs> Wait, what's the spin? Uh, 
Is it the a value, a crook at the bottom? Who is the Cornish man represent at the bottom? Oh, uh, the, the Cornish are famous for being uh, metal miners. <laughs> oh, that seems nicer than saying the, the liar at the top. Yeah, it is. But, uh, well, it, it's a sort of a cynical American take on the whole thing. But no, what what happened when I, I was going to uh, grad school at the Colorado School of Mines near here where I live, and uh, between classes I, I'd go over to the library and relax. I'd thumb through these old mining magazines, and you know they had these magazines from a hundred years ago, and I'd thumb through, and, and every week they they they'd expose these swindles and they'd just tear into them horribly. But it didn't seem to make any difference. The, 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 these these swindlers would just keep selling their phony stock, and I, and I, and I I'd thumb through through these old magazines week after week, and I I'd say there's this there's a, there are stories here that are great, and one of the, one of the stories was a the great diamond hoax. So let's that you do have a chapter on that. Let's let's talk about that. You bet. What what were the circumstances of this diamond hoax? Well, ba basically, there are a couple of old prospectors from Kentucky who weren't having very much luck, and and they thought they'd found some uh, some diamonds, and they showed them to a jeweler in San Francisco, and he, and he said, "Well, these aren't really diamonds and rubies; these are just quartz crystals and garnets." But these two guys realized, you know, if they could get a hold of a couple of diamonds and throw them in the mix, they, they could s sell their their prospect for a lot of money. And and so the, to start with, they got some industrial diamonds from, from a, someone that was making uh, diamond tip drill bits. Okay. And, and they showed these industrial diamonds to someone who showed them to a jeweler and said, yeah, these are real diamonds. And they started to get excited. And and, and the, the guy uh, paid them, oh, I think $10,000 uh, for an option on the claim. They took the $10,000, went to London, and bought a bunch of real diamonds. <laughs> and they brought those back. And they said, they said well, see what we, we found again. and everyone started going berserk and and they they they'd string them along and they give them some more money they they'd run back to london and buy some more diamonds and so th this is 1872 and no one had the slightest idea of uh how to look for diamonds but but they they finally they, they had to show their investors where they found these diamonds so they went to a well, basically, a field in Northwest Colorado and sprinkled diamonds around, and 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 it was fairly out of the way then. You had to go a couple of days by horse from the nearest railway station. But they brought their investors there, and the investors started finding diamonds. And uh, this is going to be a multi-million-dollar deal. All the newspapers were full of it, but everyone was looking for this. Uh, the American diamond fields, but no one knew where it was. But finally, the, they, they left enough clues that there was a geologist working for the federal government 
a guy by the name of Clarence King, who figured out where it was for, from the clues, and he, he went there and he, he he figured that the diamonds had just been scattered around. He did a little digging, and once you dug below the surface, there weren't any. And so he went back and exposed the whole thing. And the uh, the, the principles scattered went went back to Kentucky. And there were a number of other people who were suspected of being in on it, but uh, no one could ever prove exactly who is in and who is on the outside. That was a strange thing to hear at the end, that uh, the people who perpetrated it just sort of disappeared into the weeds. Well, of, of course, well, there, there are two cousins, uh, Arnold and Slack, who were the originals. Uh, Slack sold out early, and he just kind of disappeared. He finally wound up in a little town in New Mexico as an undertaker. <laughs> His cousin got the most money, and he went back and, and uh, started a bank in, in uh, I can't remember the name in, of the town in Kentucky. But uh, he, he, he was sort of famous there. He, he, as he said, he. He out Yankee the Yankees, and, and so <laughs> they, they, they settled out of court, got a little bit of money from him, but uh, he, he had enough to, to keep his bank. I wonder, that was another thing in digging into that story to hear you explain that some of the, the fraud charges we think about today were not in the law. So when you say he he went to court. It, it, this was just a civil suit they brought against him and said he tricked us and they owe us money. But there was no charge. Were there charges that could be brought up against these guys? Um. Well, most people left California where where the whole thing took took place. All the financial transactions. Um. As a matter of fact, there were a couple of uh, of the financiers who sort of packed up quickly and left California. There was. Uh, Asbury Harpenting and his partner George D. Roberts. Yeah, they, they both quickly left the state. As did the the two cousins from Kentucky, and, and uh, extradition. What wasn't very easy back then, especially if uh, you had a, a a sympathetic hometown home home state officials protecting you. Were they sympathetic because they liked these guys, or were they sympathetic because they were sympathetic to this sort of fraudulent business? Well, I think they're sort of hometown boys, uh, okay. Kentuckians who made good. <laughs> well, sort of made good in quotation marks. Well, they, they yeah, they're, they're hometown boys. So, so they sort of got some protection. But no, back, back then, uh, there, there's no pro prohibitions against insider trading. That, that was endemic. Uh, it, it was just assumed that, that you're gonna, the insiders would, would cheat everybody else. In, in fact, there, there's one example uh, of a mine in, in Colorado where the insiders cheated everyone else, and one of the newspapers said, "Well, 
I'd do the same thing. Everyone else would do the same thing. It, it, it was justified. Well, justified. Well, as far as they were concerned, and uh, there was an example in, in Nevada on the Comstock load of, of after the insiders had found this ore body they called the Big Bonanza, they started tipping their friends off to, to buy shares in, in the company. And, you know, there's complete insider trading. But the, the San Francisco Chronicle called it a a bright spot of good, honest charity because they're, they're tipping their friends off. That is interesting. I was going to ask, oh, did they just sort of dismiss that kind of behavior as, well, you're an idiot sucker if you get taken in by that. But now it sounds like they're like, well, look, if you get in on a deal at the first level, it's expected that you're going to give your family and friends advantages. You're going to suck as much money out of that thing as you can. Uh, that, that, was, uh, that was the attitude in, in a lot of these things. It, it, it was real dog-eat-dog -dog, uh, business, and everyone assumed that, that the insiders were going to make inside deals. From your impression, when you were looking at these magazine articles and seeing that right alongside stories debunking particular deals, there would be you know, advertisements for talking about the fact that those deals existed, does it seem like these situations were sort of, are the scams bad people who are really good at lying? Or is it generally, do they take the, you take the attitude that, there's a lot of good people. They were just too hungry to make easy money. There's just it all felt like easy money. So do you? I don't know. Do you blame the fraudsters or the fraudies, or do you fall somewhere in the middle? Um, I I I I guess I would blame the the fraudsters. Not not everyone sympathized with them. Okay. You, you have to judge people as they were judged, sort of in their own by the standards of their own times and. Uh, these guys were, were criticized pretty heavily, uh, as were a lot of the people who manipulated railroad stock back in New York or people such as, say, uh, John D. Rockefeller, who monopolized the, the oil refining business. You know, the, the, they, they were terribly criticized. Now, I, I think I read some stuff from you, so well, somewhere else now I can't remember, but there would also be these repeated situations, and maybe that's a little bit what happens in magazines where they talked about, like, the gold mines of Kansas that would pop up again and again, and it seems like the, these people out there were eager to drive that dynamic, the belief that there could still be gold, El Dorado in Kansas. That's uh -oh. interesting, too. Did you see a lot of scams that kind of would die and come up and die and come up again? Uh, well, yes, that that too, and and certainly there there's a strong there's a strong push within people to believe yeah. that these things are true. And and what you're talking about the gold mines of Kansas in central Kansas, there are a couple of counties where people were convinced that these shales, which are have nothing in them, were rich in gold. <laughs> And, and so the, the people who believed in them would fall for every sucker or, or would fall for every con artist who came along with a secret process to get the gold out. 
they're convinced the gold was there if they could just extract it the right way. And when you have people who believe something like that, sooner or later, someone's going to come along and take advantage of it. And it also, like those sort of uh, conspiracies or old wives' tales, the things that just sort of pop up and don't die, uh, it, it does make you wonder, are the people who are just kind of hungry for this thing to be true drive it? Or do these people look around for an opportunity and maybe the two things just come together? There's a certain set of people that want this to be true, and there's another set of people that figure out they can sell them something because they want it to be true. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it, it's an interesting dynamic. It, yeah, the, the, the conjunction of both. You, you've got the swindlers that come around, and uh, you've got the people who want to be swindled almost. Yeah. And as I mentioned in the uh, the article, it, the, the whole thing about gold in Kansas started out with Coronado. He, he was looking for the cities of gold, and he was convinced they're out on the plain somewhere. And when you hear these tales based on rumors and you just want to believe them, they become hard to turn down. Did you find instances in any of your research where if people who were confronted once, I don't know, once they got past any anger or frustration or sadness that they'd lost money in these deals, did anybody ever talk about the fact that kind of self-reflect and say, well, why did I believe this for so long? Or I really wanted this to be true and it wasn't, or was that not really represented in these stories in the aftermath? Uh, I, I, I didn't find that. I didn't find much self-reflection. <laughs> so another thing that surprised me is when I went digging, obviously I was digging into an old, old heist, an old hope, an old scheme. And I figured this stuff is all gone. Nobody's perpetrating mining now. Nobody's planting fake stuff in the ground now. Surely in our advanced age, this never happens. But then you told me it does. So I don't know. Could you give an example of something in recent history of where this is still going on? Well, in, in the, the the late 1990s, uh, there, there was yeah. a there was the big Briex fraud. Briex was a penny stock out of Calgary, Alberta. And uh, these guys that had some some mining rights in Indonesia. And uh, they, they started reporting that huge amounts of, of of gold and it, it was a, it was a low-grade deposit but it it was one of the, the the way they portrayed it it was one of the world's largest reserves of gold ore okay and th this little penny stock company soon had a a market capitalization of, of literally billions of dollars holy and uh, it was it was put on the 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 main Canadian the stock exchange in Toronto. These guys started cashing out. They, they were rich. Um, finally, an outside outfit went and sampled it, and there was no gold. And so, so what what happened as near as anyone can figure is that one of the one of the field geologists was buying gold dust from the natives are panning it in the river 
is sprinkling it in his uh, in the in the samples, <laughs> and it, it it worked for a couple of years. And uh, when it stopped working, the, this Philippine field geologist disappeared uh, or died under mysterious circumstances, and no one's quite sure if he's dead yet. That convenient disappearance of people seems to happen. I was really intrigued. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't want to jump off my well, well, geology me, first. I didn't. Let, let me tell you the story of this Philippine geologist. He, he, oh, he, yeah. he, he was riding in a helicopter, and the, the pilot looked over, and he was gone. And so the pilot re reported that he jumped out. Okay. Now, there, there were, of course, rumors that he was pushed out. They, they they found a body decomposed in the jungle wearing his blue jeans some weeks later. But one of his wives, he was married to various women at the same time, one of his wives back in the Philippines, about a year later reported she, she got a large amount of cash sent from Brazil from the same guy. So who knows? He may, so he, that remind he may have faked oh, no, his own death. Did any of this research into schemes like this was this always kind of a side interest, or did your research of these things did it ever influence how you approached your work as a geologist? I mean, did you ever see people who wanted something to be true, and you could see maybe they would lean a little to. And you'd be, ah, I, I just never do that at the bad road. I, well, it, it's it's always a question of, uh, you know, there, there's a point where salesmanship get, gets a little little bit ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but you know, a lot of things are possible, but but you you, you can't lie, and. If you lie, you get caught. It, 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 it's very difficult to do it now. There, there are all sorts of laws against it. So there's just more ways to get caught in the net. If you do something wrong, there's more laws that'll catch you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, you've got the Securities and Exchange Commission. That only came around in the 1930s. So if if you sell shares of stock or fractional interest in anything, it, it comes under their jurisdiction, and and they have uh, oh, very complicated rules to follow if you want to do that. Has studying these scams made you more skeptical or more cynical about people? Uh, yeah, I think so. I've always been a little bit cynical about people, but I've I've, I've run into <laughs> things I, I thought were sort of on the scamish side. Yeah, I remember I, my, my oh, a guy I was looking for wanted me to look at, at a report on a gold mine in Brazil, and so I, I was looking at this. Um, this assay report of a, of a lab in in Vancouver, and it was just 
full of language errors. It was obviously written by someone who was not a native English speaker. And I, and I thought, well, so, someone got a hold of some letterhead here. <laughs> There's something wrong with this, uh, this assay report. So, so I just said, well, we ought to drop this whole deal. Was the boss happy with that, or was it intensely disappointing? Or they figured, oh no, we expect some of these things to fall fall over. Oh, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he had a lot of other things to look at. It, it, it wasn't a big disappointment. You know, speaking of disappearing people, you wrote another article that I thought was very timely because I have seen. About people who get disappeared by the government trying to make gasoline out of water. And I was surprised to see how far back this particular thing went. I thought it was fascinating because this is happening now. We, I literally just saw recently there's a claim that someone who died or who got shot in a recent mass shooting, oh, they won't tell you this, but he just discovered gasoline out of water things. Maybe we could talk a little bit about this because I think this keeps, this has popped up again and again and again, this idea that people are making gas out of water. I don't know. Tell me a little bit about this because I think it pops up over and over again. Well, the fuel swindles go, go back farther but but the first gasoline out of water swindle that i'm aware of was done by a guy by the name of john andrews who lived in, in pennsylvania he did it uh in the early 19 teens okay i think 1914 1913 somewhere along there and he he would ba basically so someone would, would uh leave him with a bucket of water and he'd add some chemicals and, and they'd uh, turn it in, into motor fuel, supposedly. But he, he would, when things got too hot, he'd disappear. <laughs> and uh, everyone said, oh, he's been kidnapped or killed or whatnot, but then, then he'd pop up again. And, and he actually, uh, he started this thing around 1912, 1913, and, and he died in, I think, 1952 at the age of 66. He just disappeared when it was convenient to him, when the, the, the law was getting a little too close. But, but he ran this, uh, no one's quite sure how he did it. But but he he ran this uh, gas gasoline from water scam for for uh, oh a good ten years before he dropped it. But uh, there there are all these versions that that uh, oh he disappeared and he was killed or this and that. He lived a ripe old age on his farm in western Pennsylvania. And and other people picked up the scam. Uh, Oh, there are at least half a dozen of them after him. He, he set the pattern. And the, the other side of it is interesting, whether those people were actually working the scam or not, this story about the reason someone has disappeared or the reason this person was killed, oh, they were just about to reveal 
they come up with, and they, it, oil companies that killed them, or the government that killed them, and so I don't know if that popped up. Have you seen that side plot line pop up in any of these things? Oh, sure. Yeah, the the, the they were bought off or, or intimidated or, right. or killed, but uh, I don't know. It, none of it makes sense to me because uh, I, I don't see any, any physically any way you can make fuel out of out of water. Without adding more energy than, than you you would you would create. So to me, it, it's always been a kind of an impossibility to begin with. But you know, if, if you want to talk about the the big oil companies, uh, I, I always thought, well, that's in America. But you could go over to Japan, and I don't, I don't think the scientists over in Japan are, are any slackers. And the one who can come up with, with a, a way to make fuel out of water would be a, a national hero. <laughs> it, really, in Japan. You know, they, they import all their oil, essentially. And, and, and so, you know, they don't have the big oil companies over there to, to dominate things. And they haven't come up with it. Although the, there there have been a, at least one uh, diesel fuel from water s swindle that went on in Japan, but it it, it they caught the guy red-handed and uh, it it didn't work for very long. Uh, I was also happy to see you send me an article about doodle bugs and i had never known what a doodle bug was uh so why don't you tell you tell what's a what's a doodle bug it sounds like some made-up thing but it's a it's a name for an actual thing well a, a doodle bug well it's obviously a slang term for, for a a machine that is supposed to find oil okay but doesn't <laughs> but it, it it it's it's sort of slang uh some geophysicists will, will sort of jokingly call themselves do doodle buggers <laughs> when they're actually using a, a good geophysical technique. But uh, it, it originated as a, uh, a term for, for these uh, magical machines to find oil. And, and I actually, uh, well, that's, that's just sort of my latest interest. Of, uh, You know, writing about these stories, these people who in, in, invent machines to find oil. Uh, it reminds me, I just saw there's a video game machine I saw in, I think it was in Eastern Europe or Central Europe, as sort of in the late 80s, and they never able to develop the inside, so they just made the outside, which looked like a video game machine, but the inside was nothing. And it reminds me of these things, these machines that actually, if you take them apart, I mean, they're not really doing anything. Are any of them, are any of the versions of these things that are hunting for liquid under the, under the surface of the earth in some way, were any of them actually doing anything, or are they usually the insides were just nonsense machinery? Uh, no, I, I'd say most of them did something. Uh, most of it was was unrelated to oil. <laughs> okay. But but there th there were some that um, that detect 
transient electrical currents in, in the ground and, and uh, some people think th those are correlated with oil deposits but it, it, it's it's not a very uh, effective way to, to find oil as far as as far as I know but some of them were, were just purely in people's imagination and some of them were, were slightly monitored slightly uh, modified uh, dowsing rods I wanted to ask you about that too, because I remember um, my dad was a my dad was a lineman, and somewhere along the line, housing rods, and he just thought this is a load of crap. Uh, instantly skeptical, this can't possibly work. But he seemed to think in a few times. In fact, he bought a couple, and I mean, he didn't use them all the time. But he thought, you know what? I really saw another guy walking around, and the dowsing rods seemed to work in identifying where the water pipe was. But I want you to tell me dowsing rods just absolutely nothing to them well i what causes the rods to to move or to swing or or yes it's pretty well established it's subconscious movements of the hands so, and, and even some so, some dowsers disagree with that some agree with it but what you're doing is you're tapping into your subconscious now the question is 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 there anything there what what's driving your subconscious is there some level of clairvoyance or are are you 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 tapping into some knowledge and and some clues on the surface on where this is likely to be and and that's the big question and uh i i don't know the answer That is interesting. It does remind me, I feel like a lot of the psychic stuff has sort of started to lean into. There are things happening. We now know there are things happening in, in the brain that we don't fully understand. And so this idea, could you be sensitive to things? Yeah, could you be sensitive to things that you can't perceive consciously, but that your brain or your body in some way could be sensitive to? Yeah, exactly. Or, or you know, people who work with underground utilities, they, they tend to get a sense of, of where the utilities are likely to run, even if they're not consciously aware of it. In doing geology stuff, did you ever have, did you ever feel that you had a sort of intuition about things or did you see other people who seemed, wow, that person, how does that person know this is here, that's there? Uh, I don't think I, I ran in into any of those people there there's some people who've certainly uh uh credited that people who think that that they, they've got a sort of a combination of uh education and, and intuition about these things i never felt that i had it and i ha i haven't personally met someone that i i thought had it but uh so, some people do What now? So you you've written this one book. Are you ever planning? Would you ever be interested enough in any other topic to write another book? I mean, you're still writing articles. What do you? What kind of stuff are you interested in now and working well, on the, now? Well, the, the, the doodle bugs. It's fun to be curious about. I, actually, um, uh, it'll probably take another year, but I'll have a book out on uh, on doodle bugs. Oh, criminy! That's awesome. 
I, I, I just got a uh, oh, I just got a contract sent to me by uh, Texas Tech University Press. They're, they're interested in publishing it. Can I ask your your first book about mining schemes, and then this one about doodlebugs? Is there a particular niche that those two books fall into? Is it or is it people into geology, or is it people into early American history? People into engineering and I don't know with the doodlebugs, maybe people who are interested in the mechanics of these things. Where do you feel like it falls in? Um, I'm not sure who buys the books <laughs> <laughs> or who bought my, my first book. Uh, I, I suppose is mostly people inter interested in um, in, in his, historical aspects of, of the thing. Uh, this one. Eh, might be a little bit more inside baseball and, and uh, appeal to people in the oil business. Do you still feel like, because that other one, I've read I've read a few chapters already. I think it's very much, the, the first book you did is very much readable by anybody, um, historian or anybody with even a small in, interest in crime and all that stuff. Is this one, does it feel like you're going to go deeper into the machines and that's why it feels like a little closer to just that industry or are you also going to write it with the with the idea that oh no i want this i want anybody to pick this up and read about it well i i want anyone able to anyone to be able to pick it up but uh it, it the the nature of the thing is is going to have more jargon in it and I, I have to figure out how to get around that okay but you know, certainly, I think a lot of these are are good stories, and um, you know, I hate to ruin a good story by filling it with too much uh, too much jargon. Because these because these doodlebugs are actually machines, are you going to spend a lot of time? I mean, we talk about jargon. Are you also going to spend a lot of time sort of trying to look at the inner workings and ask what the heck's supposed to be going on here? Uh, well, there are very few of them that. Uh, they're left to look at. Oh, crud. Most of them, uh, the big heyday was in the 1920s, and most of them have been thrown out in the trash. Okay. Um, it's just hard to find. I found one up in Calgary, uh, a black box with a bunch of nonsense electronics inside. <laughs> Um. Oh, I I I bought another on 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 some eBay like platform, but most of them are gone. They're just disappeared. Is it because the science of finding these things has gotten sophisticated enough where people just aren't as inclined to buy into the fact that they could buy something off some? Guy or buy something off the website that would tell them where it is. Is it is that why it's passed? Why do you think it's passed away? Well, mo most of the doodle bugs were one of a kind built by the inventors. Okay. And the inventor was the only one who, who knew what it was supposed to do. The only one who knew how to run it. And so, you know, once he died, people found well, here's Grandpa's old uh, bric-a-brac. We don't know what it is. Toss it. 
that's interesting. So it was never like sort of dowsing rods where anybody can come use this. I see it now. This is like, no, no, this is just in the back of his wagon and he doesn't, he's not duplicating it. He only, he can use it properly. Most of them were, were like that. Okay. Is there anything either in geology or when you look out at the world at looking at different new sciences and technologies or new ways to do things, do you ever feel like you kind of, you're, man, that just seems, there's something that you recently, just too good to be true. As long as it seems too good to be true, jump out of you a lot more now. Um, what, in, in the realm of science? Well, I think, so science has science and technology been so wildly successful for our planet for so long now. And some of the claims that get made for things on the far horizon that are just unproven, I think we feel maybe, oh, that's totally doable, and it turns out not to be. So because it, your feel of science technology is science and technology feel just so much more realistic and grounded, or do you feel like some of the wildest horizons of things that people claim things are going to be able to do, you're like, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, I, I think I'll probably believe it when I see it. Uh, you know, geology struggles. You know, the, the people still haven't found a way to detect oil in the ground with, with, with any certainty. And they desperately want to do that. Well, you're right. If they can't do that... <sighs> Is it really still just at the level people just have to stab the ground repeatedly to find this spot? Um, well, it, it, it's not at random that they've got geophysical and, and geological ways to narrow it down. But, um, well, there are two kinds of, of what, they, what you call plays. Uh, okay. There's an an exploration play, which, you know, if you can find the oil, it's going to make you money. But it's very restricted in the area. Okay. Now, they're also, what they do with these fracking plays, they cover huge areas. And it's a question of, uh, it's an engineering question of getting it out at a profit. You know it's there. It's just, uh, can, can you go in there and, and give it a good frack and, and suck enough out to make money? So, so, so there, there are geological plays where, where it's, it's restricted, and then there are engineering plays, which are these uh, mostly frack plays these days that, uh, you know, you, you know it's down there. It's a question of getting it out of profit. Well, and I, I would be curious. Now I'd be remiss. I, I got to ask so about the fracking. Obviously, in the past, I feel like 10, 15 years, people have talked a lot about the dangers. So about, okay, the ground, infiltr uh, pollution problems with fracking. But in addition, when you mentioned engineering, people talked about sucking this stuff out of the ground causing some problems with the engineering of the rock or the soil. Was there ever, did you ever get heavily into fracking in your time? And were there ever any really big issues with it or no, most of that stuff is kind of not as scary or weird as people think. 
Well, the, 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 there are big, big issues with it. Um, you know, to, to the, a lot of it's overblown, but, uh, you know, the, the, there are some genuine issues such, such as the, uh, the earthquakes in, in Oklahoma. And, uh, I don't know, it, 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 it gets, gets very technical. You, you've got, uh, anti-oil people trying to shoot it down and you've got oil people such as myself with, with uh you know I, I i can't it's hard for me to be neutral on it yes but um i don't know a, a lot of these things i, I read in the paper and uh, un unless you dig into the to the nitty-gritty it, it's hard to judge whether it's genuine or not the problem And as we think about things that are harder and harder to get out of the ground, like fracking over bigger areas and figuring out if it's even useful, what is the most lucrative or the weirdest thing in your career you've got to dig out of the ground? That, that I've dug out of the ground? Yeah, or been a part of, you know, on any project or anything. It's just really weird that came out. Or the thing that was like, that felt like the when you hit it, wow, we hit a mother load. It just blew you away. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez I, I i'm afraid I, I can't think of anything right now <laughs> a lot of the stuff felt more modest and understandable it never felt like you'd, you'd hit the san francisco gold vein no no i'm afraid not uh, <laughs> th th there are a lot of geologists and and very few that uh that really hit like that i'm afraid and i'm not one of them so far do a lot of geologists are they um do a lot of geologists do they have big dreams of finding massive winds or really the, the geologists are kind of lean more toward the more middle of the road scientific approach where they're not looking for the big win they're they're just thinking about you know, I, I don't know, a more reasonable expectation, or do you, have you met a lot of geologists who really just have the big dream? Uh, well, a little bit of both. Um, okay. You know, you, you have to make a living in the meantime. And, you know, certainly I know a, a lot of geologists have sort of gone off on their own and, uh, you know, th th they might not hit home runs, but they hit enough singles and doubles to to keep in the game. <laughs> And if you hadn't become a geologist, what would have been your number two? Is there like a career that got away? Uh, geez, no, I don't think so. I, I can't imagine. Oh, that's good. I can't imagine not being a geologist. <laughs>